Hi, I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we go behind the scenes with the geniuses themselves. Now that we're coming to the end of the year, it's a good time to take a look back at what 2022 brought us. It was a big year here. Simply Genius, the newest genius cookbook that I had been working on for four years came out and I was finally able to share recipes and stories from it with all of you. From an update on Dory Greenspan's iconic French yogurt cake to Hetty McKinnon's sheet pan gnocchi with chili crisp and baby bok choy to Heidi Swanson's five-minute tomato sauce to Tara O'Brady's basic great chocolate chip cookies that are faster, easier, and in the hearts and minds of the internet, better than the recipe on the back of the chocolate chip bag. Also in 2022, on this podcast, we heard about the genius kitchen discoveries that shaped the lives of cooking legends like Nigella Lawson and Julie Sani, and first-time superstar authors like Frankie Gaw and Ali Slagle, too. And best of all, as the world continues to inch back toward normalcy, we are seeing more and more opportunities to cook with family and friends again. Every year in Genius Recipes, I love taking a look at the recipes that have really struck a chord with you all. And to help me with this, I am so happy to be joined by a very special guest, the co-founder of Food52 and my mentor for about 13 years, Amanda Hesser. Amanda and I go way back to when Food52's test kitchen was in her apartment and our office was her kitchen table. That was where so many good things at Food52 were born, including the Genius Recipes column that led to this very podcast. Now, Amanda has seen it all, everything Food52 has done from the very beginning. So there's no one better to talk about some of the highlights of 2022 and what we have to look forward to in 2023. But first, I was curious to know, out of everything that Amanda made in her kitchen this year, what her favorite was. First one that stands out to me is Julia Tertian's fried eggs with yogurt and mm-hmm. yogurt and lemon. Like it intrigued me because, well, I think I, I'm trying to remember if I used, did I use, is it coconut yogurt or I think maybe I used coconut yogurt actually, because I don't, I don't do dairy, fresh dairy, but you can use regular yogurt. And, but the idea of like taking this like crisp fried egg and then laying it in a bed of yogurt seemed like odd to me. And then I discovered that it was like the most amazing mix of textures and super delicious. And the tang of the yogurt was like a really nice counterpoint. And then you sprinkled on some, some cilantro. But there's another genius recipe that you have done about where eggs are cooked in cream, like sauteed in cream. Just the idea that various forms of milk and cream are, are like such friends of the egg. <laughs> <laughs> You're reminding me, too, when you're talking about the tang and how, you know, yogurt and lemon on top of egg seems like a lot of a lot of tang, a lot of acid and can be actually so bracing and invigorating in the morning and kind of Mm -hmm. exactly what egg yolk needed all along that we didn't realize. Maybe. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. That the place that I think I first saw that was with um, Roger Verger's uh, fried eggs with wine vinegar and it's just like fried eggs in a pan, and then you kind of deglaze the pan with some vinegar. And that was, I think, the first recipe that started out the Genius Recipes cookbook. Like even when I make Canal House's uh, fried eggs where, where they spoon uh, olive oil that, that has some smoked paprika in it over the eggs, and you can do it with 
all kinds of different spices and herbs, whatever you want to flavor the oil with. It's so delicious and so fun to see how different spices will take that in so many different directions. But a lot of times it's the suggestion to like, you know, put in like a little squeeze of lemon or vinegar at the end. I love that uh, that vinegar eggs recipe also just because, you know, when you when you splash the the, the reduced uh, the reduction kind of over the eggs, it's just like these really beautiful streaks of uh, kind of, you know, dark, dark red. It's, it's, it's a very beautiful looking dish. It's very dramatic, I think. Mm-hmm. And it also reminds me, um, my friend Anita Shepard, she adds hot sauce to things when she wants not just spice, but vinegar. Uh-huh. Um, and if you think about like Tabasco, like there's a lot of vinegar in them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when people put hot sauce on their eggs, it's it's for the spice, but also for the acid. So I feel and like I've, I've never really forgotten that she adds it when a dish needs acid. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just no. was getting so excited about vinegar. <laughs> But uh, good. Uh, there, there's a food nerd quote for you. Um, so, um, I, you know, I feel like still culturally, well, just acid generally, I think is something that is getting more and more appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think vinegar, you know, specifically, like has been largely just like this kind of thing that was to be paired with a fat as and something that you kind of just learned, like needed to go into certain sauces or, you know, dressings. Whereas it's actually this like incredibly powerful tool. And I think I may have told you this before, but a friend of mine is a very good chef. And next to his stove in his home kitchen, there is no oil. It's, mm. uh, and just to be very clear, these are not super close to his stove, so they're not being damaged by the, the you know, ambient heat. But it's only vinegars. He just had like a selection. He has a selection of like really super high quality, beautiful vinegars because that to him is like the, that's the tool that he turns to when he turns to most when he's cooking and obviously, you know, salt. Um, but I just was really, um, it really kind of changed my thinking about, about vinegar when I saw that, because I was like, Oh, right. It's, it's actually this really super specific and powerful tool that, you know, something like a fat, doesn't really quite have. Do you notice when he tends to add acids? Like, is it usually at the end or is it all along as he's tasting and cooking? No, it, it's usually at the end, but it's just mm-hmm. like, it's kind of like nothing is finished until the acid balance is right. Wow. You know, I think we often think like, you know, because, it, you know, it's it's become sort of a trope that like, you know, taste as you go and season, like season as you go. And, but this, the implica- the sort of implied seasoning is salt and pepper. I do wonder if it extends all the way to ketchup too, since, you know, that's something that, a lot of people do put on their eggs, their sweetness and ketchup, but there's also a lot of tang. I know. Yes. Are you, are, are you a ketchup on eggs person? I am not, <laughs> but I am definitely, um, I, I, it actually grosses me out and I can't explain it. I just, and maybe I just need to immerse myself in the world of, of ketchups with eggs, but I'm definitely a, a Tabasco and, you know, hot sauce and that kind of uh, person, which, so which I know, um, you know, perhaps, seems like a contradiction that I wouldn't be open to ketchup, but you know, there's, there are years ahead for me to evolve into a more <laughs> a complete human. <laughs> yeah. We're all growing and changing. I, I also tend towards like ketchup has to be there for my burgers and fries, but it's not something that had to be there for eggs well, <laughs> where I've seen, you know, my old college roommates, that was not the case. It was like more ketchup than eggs for them yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And I, you know, I put ketchup on my burger. Let's, I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm not completely out of touch with our culture. Um, An animal. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> uncivilized. Um, yeah. Well, any other standout recipes that were really memorable for you this year? Yes. And actually another yeah. genius recipe, uh, which is the chicken with extra crispy skin, the roast, roast chicken with extra crispy skin, which I just, it blew my mind from a technique standpoint. And I feel like it's going to forever change the way I make roast chicken. This recipe comes from Lindsay Maitland Hunt. You know, essentially you take a, a whole chicken, season it very simply, kind of salt, pepper, some, you know, stuff some herbs and lemon into the cavity and then put it in a 300 degree oven and cook it real slow, you know, until it's cooked through. Now, actually, if you do that, like it, it actually surprised me how crisp the skin got even just at 300 degrees. But... Um, of course, you know, when you're roasting a chicken, it's like the top, the parts that are exposed to the air, they, you know, they, they'll get crisp, but what, but often what's underneath, you know, is that's like sitting in the juices does not. So with this, with this chicken, then you take it out, you let it cool enough so that you can touch to touch it. And then you pull all the skin off, like every last bit of skin off of the chicken, which feels really wrong. And, um, (laughs) Yeah, but you know, I, I, I trusted, I trusted, uh, Lindsay, I trusted you. I went with it and then you take the chicken and you lay it out on a baking sheet and you stick it in a 420, I think it's 425 degree oven and let that skin crisp up. Meanwhile, you pull the, the, all the chicken meat off of the bones of the chicken and like, um, you know, just basically kind of like pull chicken onto a platter and then you take the crisp skin when it comes out of the oven and it's like a potato chip and you just crumble it over the top of the, the shredded chicken add some chopped herbs some lemon and it is so delicious and so like so the chicken is perfectly cooked because it's been slow cooked and it basically falls off the bone that the chicken meat and then the then the skin is crisper than any chicken skin you've ever had and it just like it checks all the boxes plus it's like super easy you don't have to worry about carving you don't have to worry about a lot of the fussy things that you often do with other roast chicken recipes it's like there's no brining there's no like drying that like letting the chicken, like I remember there was this whole thing and I actually wrote about it for the New York times when I went into a restaurant kitchen that, and all the birds were like, hang, like all the, the, the poultry was just like sitting out uncovered and asked why it was because they wanted to dry out the skin so that it crisped better in the oven. I wrote about that, you know, like people, people that became kind of like, I mean, not because of me, but other people wrote about it too, but it became sort of a norm, right. Of, of a normal technique that people use to, increase the crispness of their skin. But I feel like this just turned every recipe on its head and like had a better result and was fun to do. Oh, that's so interesting. So, so the chickens were sitting out in the kitchen at room temperature? Oh, no, no, no. It, sorry. I, sorry. I did not, did not mean that. Uh, no, in the walk-in. I apologize. I yeah. So that. yeah, okay. it was in the walk-in and I, I hope I'm getting this right. It's so long ago, but yeah, I just, I remember asking about it and it was like, oh yeah, yeah. That's what, you know, we, we do that with all of our birds to, to um, dry out the skin. Yeah, and that's even a step in um, in the Judy Bird, the Russ Parsons oh. uh, dry brine turkey is an optional step, but you um, after you've you know had the turkey sitting in the bag with the salt for you know three days, I think as an optional step, you can take off the bag, kind of pat it dry, and let it sit in the fridge if you remember and if you have the space to have a, a raw turkey just sitting naked somewhere in your fridge. Mm-hmm. I feel like I, I remember the name being like it forms a pellicle on the skin that makes it. CRISPR. I don't know where I got that word, but that's what I associate with that. I don't know, but you should use that in spelling bee whenever you can. Pellicle. <laughs> it's going to come in handy <laughs> one day, I think. <laughs> that's how you're going to get to Queen Bee. <laughs> yes. I haven't gotten there yet. 
Oh, that's so interesting. Have you, is there anything else you've seen um, in the evolution of, of crispy skin seeking? I don't know. Like I, that definitely like was far and away the, like the standout. Do you remember um, when Helen Rosner used her hairdryer? Oh, that's And the whole kerfuffle of people misunderstanding why she was using her hairdryer on a chicken. What did they think they were, she was using it for? She, well, so she was using it similar to what you're describing to, on the cool setting to dry out the skin in like all, even like in the armpits, like all, all over. I think she was trying to get the skin as dry as possible, but people who, who didn't read that context or, or, you know, wanted to just make a big to do on the internet, um, thought she was trying to cook it that way. Oh, um, <laughs> with the heat of the hair dryer. <laughs> that would take a long time. And also like, yeah. like who's like. Who's got the patience to just stand around with their hair dryer on their chicken? It's like the 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 recipe you're talking about is slow roasted. This is like slow, 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 <laughs> slow roasted with a little bit of like salmonella thrown in there. Yeah, that was so. That was the thing that came to mind for me of of like ways that people have sought crisp skin. Also, I guess just high heat roasting too. Like Barbara Kafka's, you know, cooking it at 500 does make super crispy skin too. Yeah. Be prepared. There's a chance it'll get kind of smoky in your oven. That is true. And I think it comes down to also kind of like what, you know, like, you know, if you want to have that beautiful, like roasted, you know, full roasted chicken look, you know, for presentation purposes or whatever, you might want to do a technique like Barbara Kafka's, you know, the recipe that you and I were talking about, you know, you end up with a platter of shredded chicken with crumbled chicken skin on top. So it's, it's a very different kind of thing. No one would look at that platter and say, oh, this is a roasted chicken, right? They would just say this is like delicious mm-hmm. chicken, but it happens to like use a roasting technique to get there. So I loved it all around. How about you? Tell me about some of your favorites. Mm. Let's see. You know, I, I did a little bit of digging into our top 10 genius of the year because that's always an, it's always a nice way to reflect back on, on everything that I've loved during the year and that people in the community really responded to, too. Yeah. And that's always really telling, too. I, I mean... Always desserts are high on the list, um, but that's great. Like I, 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 I love desserts. I love to keep bringing new cookies and cakes to people who clearly are excited to bake them. Um, but it's also always the savory things that I find really interesting because that that part of the list can vary more from year to year. Mm-hmm. This year um, was no different. The top two recipes were cakes. Um, <laughs> So the the first one was Yasmin Khan's, um, the, the title of the article was A Stunning Citrus Cake in One Bowl and One-ish Step. And this one, this one was like across the board, across like article, recipe, podcast, video. It was, it was super popular across the board, partly because it had this just absolutely stunning photo of like, a, it's a two-layer cake, but the sides are kind of naked uh-huh. and a cream cheese frosting in between. And then just these little curly cues of citrus zest on top and it was just I think at this moment you were coming out of the end of winter yeah and it just felt like like a ray of sunshine to see that photo and also the technique really shocked me because it's basically a you know a standard creaming technique except that it all goes in in one bowl Mm. and like basically just all gets mixed together and I just had no idea that you could do that you know, I knew that there are all kinds of different ways of making cake. And of course, like with cakes with oil, it's it's a lot more f- forgiving. And so you can just kind of dump everything in. But with softened butter, I sort of thought that unless you were doing something like a reverse creaming, which would be totally different, where I think then you're like mixing the butter with the flour. Um, I think Rose Levy Barenbaum 
popularized it. I've seen like a few different kinds of approaches to creaming, but I've never I never realized that you could take the the standard creaming and and just throw it all in and it's fine. You know, you might have a slightly different texture. It's not going to you're not going for like a super fluffy texture, but it totally works and if that's the type of cake you're going for and you maybe, you know, you're frosting it with this lovely cream cheese fluffy frosting, which also is a is a one bowl operation, you don't need to worry about it. It sounds super cool. Yeah, so that was that was like a hit across the board from Yasmin Khan. The second <laughs> and the top recipe of the year was a cake from Dory Greenspan. It was the first recipe that I shared from the Simply Genius cookbook. And um, I really love this one because it's a riff on a really well-known recipe, but a, but a new riff. It's her French yogurt cake, but this one happened to be with um, blueberries and thyme in it. So it was a really nice summery cake. And um, the, the sort of signature technique of the, the yogurt cake is that she rubs the lemon zest or whatever citrus zest she's using into the sugar. And that just like exponentially multiplies the the citrusy fragrance. And it, it changes the sugar so much. You, you've done this before, yeah. I'm sure, right? I think actually based on a recipe from her, actually, yeah. And I think she she told me that she, um, when I interviewed her about that technique, she learned it from Pierre May when she was working with him. And he just kind of did it as if like, of course, this is what we do with citrus zest. And so that's become, she calls it the smushing technique. Now she does it with anytime she has something she wants to amplify the flavor of in a in a baking recipe where she has sugar to work with. She smushes it into the sugar to spread it around more. Um, so she does it with zest. And in this recipe, she also does it with the thyme. So it's the French le smushing technique? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Hey, it's Kristen. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Amanda Hesser in just a moment. And we're back with Amanda Hesser, co-founder of Food52. Kind of going back to our discussion of acid earlier, which is just that, you know, Great. Des- I often like the best desserts either have like some, you know, meaningful uh, element of acid, which balances the like sweetness and the, the richness. And actually, I wonder if that carries through with the other. Let me see on the list. The other desserts on the list are cookies. Mm. So the cookies are. Let's see. OK, uh, I was on sabbatical for a month earlier this year and we had a few guest hosts. And one of our guest hosts was uh, Samantha Senevaratna, who chose Dory Greenspan's magically caramelly chocolate chip cookie. Mm. Um, so that was actually the number three recipe of the year. I'm sure that has a, a good dose of salt to balance out the sweet, too. And she bakes those in a muffin tin. So the the sugary edges of the cookie get caramelly from baking in a muffin tin and, and having contact with those hot edges. That sounds so good. And then the other cookies on the list, Tara O'Brady's basic great chocolate chip cookies. And then the last cookie on the list is Jesse Sheehan's epic snickerdoodles. Ah, okay. Well, you know what? Maybe I'll have to try that one. I'm not, you know, I've never been a big snickerdoodle person. So really? What, what, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> It's like you I'm seem a- so disappointed in me. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kristen. No, I'm not disappointed. I just we we're we're really different on this count because I'm I'm like the biggest snickerdoodle person. And actually, <laughs> these are these are different from like I think of snickerdoodles of my youth as being fairly pudgy 
and quite tangy. And of course, there's the cinnamon and sugar. But these these spread more. You might you might like these snickerdoodles more than most. Doubt it. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so I'm looking them up here on the site. So they're the, are they called the ultimate snickerdoodles or they're epic, epic snickerdoodles. Epic, epic. Okay, sorry, I gotta. All right. No, I. You know what? I am going to. I'm going to try them, and I'm going to dip them in ketchup, and it's all going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, maybe if you eat it like that, it'll warm your cold snickerdoodle hating heart. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, they look caramelized. Um, there's brown sugar, which is not common. I think there's a bit of cinnamon in the dough, but that I could be wrong on. But I think the more of the brown color comes from the brown sugar. Yes, there is. No, there's a little bit of cinnamon in the dough. And okay. Then, yeah. <laughs> My memory is failing, but the like <laughs> recipe memory is the one thing I still have. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but the thing about hers that I really appreciated was, um, again, this is like, it's almost like I hate cream. I really don't hate creaming, but like, I just, I just really appreciate new ideas in um, how, how to get to things faster um, and like have it not feel like a sacrifice. So she she almost fully melts the butter, but leaves a little bit of it still in like visible chunks. And then as mm-hmm. she's whisking that, and she does have a little bit of shortening in there too. Um, but as she's whisking the almost melted butter, it kind of cools, it, it melts and cools in the same step, basically, mm. because she doesn't fully melt it. So mm-hmm. that is what helps her get to like the right temperature she needs for the cookies to spread just as much as they do. And something about the proportions of her snickerdoodles you don't have to ball them. You don't have to roll them into balls to have them like flatten out into those pretty perfect circles just by scooping them with a cookie scoop and dumping them in the cinnamon sugar and tossing them around. They still make a cookie shape that's not kind of wobbly without having to individually roll each one like a meatball. Got it. Okay. I, I'm sold. I'll, I'll give it a whirl. <laughs> um, anyway, we've talked about a lot of desserts. There are a, a lot of savory recipes on the list too. And those always delight me because there seem to be a lot of salads year after year. Um, this year, uh, Ali Slagle's Not Just Another Chicken Caesar Salad, which is mm. amazing. And she like basically like pan fries the chicken thighs in the marinade that she has also used already for the dressing. Like she makes one batch of marinade. Half of it goes to dress the salad um, with a few extra little seasoning touches, and then half of it is the marinade for the chicken. That does not; it only marinades as it's sitting there. You could marinate it longer, but you don't really need to because it's just it's so intensely flavorful, and it has like the anchovy and the parmesan right there in it, and that kind of like crisps up on the chicken. So that that was a phenomenal chicken Caesar salad, very popular. Um, and then the other was the genius potato salad that converted a potato salad skeptic. And this one actually was written while I was on sabbatical by our former editorial lead, Brenda Iyer, about uh, Monifa Dio's potato salad. And that one actually was our, our most popular YouTube video. So what distinguishes this? Um, I think it's quite, quite thoughtful and fancy. It's like she makes an aioli. She um, either poaches or soft boils the eggs mm-hmm. and kind of leaves them in chunks. Mm-hmm. So it's just like every, you know, it's not a, a potato salad where everything is just kind of like blended together, kind of the way my grandmother would have made potato salad. It's like every, every piece is kind of, is, is babied kind of. <laughs> Do you make potato salad? Do you like potato salad? Yeah, I, I'm kind of, I, I, well, I love a great like vinegary German potato salad with bacon in it. And I don't think I've ever really learned how to make that super well, but 
uh, grew up with a great German kind of food store near near us, and uh, so we I kind of grew up with a great model in my head of what it what it can be. And yeah, and I just like learned in France, you know, that they're more into like kind of like the vinaigrette potato salads, and that just that you know you always dress it while the potatoes are warm so that they soak up the the dressing and, and it infuse it infuses it more. But yeah, I'm certainly by no means a connoisseur of potato salads, but I'm a, a fan of them for sure. Well, we've talked a lot about um, about these all these recipes that we loved making this year. I also want to hear what you're looking forward to next year, though either things to cook or, you know, what else you're excited about coming up at Food 52? Well, what I'm really excited about is just that, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to be working with a lot more contributors next year. And so that to you know me means like, you know, more ideas, more like variety of cooking. And for me, it's like, it's a, it's sort of a playground, right. Of, of just getting to experiment with new ideas. So, so I'm, I'm very excited about that. And I think that we're just going to have like more and more like uh, fantastic recipe content in the coming year. And I decided recently, I was like, you know, I really um, am interested in, like, I really love Korean food and have for many years, but I really haven't cooked much of it. And I think that I would like to do some, you know, kind of dive in and, and learn more about the cuisine. It seems like a great time for it. There's so many amazing cookbooks focusing on Korean and Korean American food that have come out in the last year too. Yeah, that's so true. How about yourself? I'm really looking forward to finding more unexpected recipes or recipes in unexpected places. Mm. Like I just got a tip that I'm really excited to to test soon from a community member. You know, I'm always scrounging around, reading everything I can, <laughs> looking in every new cookbook, looking in old cookbooks. Like I'm paying attention um, and trying to gather genius tips on my own. But it's always the things that the community sends in that, are the biggest surprises for me. And I guess this is sort of an unofficial nudge to um, our podcast listeners that (laughs) I, I really do love when, when you send in tips and I love making those recipes and that's what has powered it all these years. Yeah. Is, is getting to discover completely surprising things from other people who are, are great home cooks and, and notice when something is special. Yeah. Okay. We're just about out of time, but I was wondering if before you go, you could share any recipes you're excited to be making over the holidays. Well, I was invited for the first time to a holiday cookie party next week, and you have to bring a dozen. I don't know why, but I I was like, well, of course, I got to bring two different kinds of cookies because that's more fun. And I wanted to have like two very, very different kinds of cookies. So I'm going to do Susan Spungen's triple ginger chocolate chunk cookies because I love a really gingery cookie that has chocolate in it. Like I, I'm, you know, I'm happy with a ginger cookie, but I really love ginger and chocolate together. So I wanted to do that. And then I also wanted to make um, Sarah Kiefer's, um, I always call them the pan banging chocolate chip cookies. I have to say, I'm so excited to be making holiday cookies because I uh, have more time to do so this year than I have in years past. I often like have, I'll, I, there have been years where I bought the ingredients and they're sitting on my countertop and I just never get to it because the holiday season is our busiest time of year at the business. And it ends up actually feeling like a, like a source of stress for me. And uh, for this is for the first time in a number of years, it's now like a source of joy and I'm going to do it on uh, this weekend and I can't wait. I love getting to cook from the site because we're putting out all this great content all the time, but I don't, um, it's, you know, it's sort of like the, um, cobbler's 
you know, children have no, um, don't have any shoes. Sorry, I don't know exactly. Mm-hmm. That's not exactly how it goes, but you know what I'm saying. Like I always, <laughs> I always feel like I don't, you know, run, you know, run a food site and don't get to cook nearly as much as I would like to. Uh, so really excited to get in the kitchen. Thanks for listening, and my thanks to Amanda Hesser for taking some time to look back over this past year with me, even if we'll have to agree to disagree about certain cookies. This week's episode was put together by me, Kristen McGlory, executive producer Harry Sultan, and with post-production by Crutch Phrase Studios. I'd love to hear about your favorite recipe of the year at genius at food52.com or by tagging me on Instagram at McGlorious. And if you like the Genius Recipe Tapes podcast, the very best thing that you can do to support us and to help other people find our show is to take a moment to leave us a five-star rating and review. Or send this episode to anyone in your life who has strong snickerdoodle feelings, just like Amanda and me. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.